Um, during worship, I was struck and actually to tears by the song of the solid rock. And because uh, last week I preached on um, it's always darkest before a breakthrough, and a lot of people responded that that's where they were going through. They were going through hard times. If you're, if you're going through a hard time, this is just an incredible song. Uh, has anybody ever seen the movie um, Mel Gibson, um, We Were Soldiers? And one of the deleted scenes is this scene where uh, the wives who have their husbands now in Vietnam, one of the wives stands up and she has to sing this song in church. And it is just a kind of moment. I mean, it just, I was bawling watching that. Just listen to these words. Let them land with you again. It says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is, shift, is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. Whew. The message of Christianity is not that it's easy to be a Christian. In fact, it is just the opposite. If you're here this morning, you're investigating Jesus and you're saying, woohoo, where do I sign up? This is what you sign up for. You sign up for the darkness veiling God and you still stand fast. You're signing up for every high and stormy gale. You're signing up that his oath, oath, his covenant, and his blood will support you in the whelming flood. Welcome to Christianity. Welcome to being a follower of Jesus. That's the normal Christian life. And in the midst of that, you hang on for dear life to Jesus Christ. You say, you're my only hope. Christ and being a follower of him will accentuate the pain that you should have, what, what life was supposed to be like in the Garden of Eden. And you don't have it yet. And you long for it. That's all free. I didn't even plan for that. So um, anyway, on to today's stuff. When I, was in, when I was in college, after my freshman year, I came to a point in my life where I decided I wanted to be a follower of Jesus Christ. God got a hold of my heart and, and literally changed the way I think, thought and, and the way I felt and, and changed me completely. Um, yeah, there's still a lot of struggles I still have from, from even those early days, young. But God got a hold of my life as a freshman at the University of Minnesota 
And I had come to the University of Minnesota for, for uh, two primary reasons. One was to escape a relationship that I was in in my hometown of Hibbing, Minnesota. I wanted to just put some distance between this deal and see if it would fizzle out, and it did. And the second was, is I had decided that I was good at both math and science, and I was going to become a chemical engineer because at that time they made the most money graduating. I'm not kidding you. Uh, I sat in the career office and I asked them what, he says, well, the closest thing here is some type of engineer towards your interests. And uh, I said, well, what makes the most money? And he said, chemical engineering. And I said, sign me up. So for two years I went through chemical engineering, or I did all the grunt stuff, all the quantum mechanics and physics and organic chemistry and, yeah, and analytic chemistry and every kind of chemistry you could think of. And then, like I say, after my freshman year, I had come to a place in my life where I committed myself to Christ and didn't know if I wanted to be a chemical engineer anymore, but stuck in the program for another year anyway. And at the end of my second year, I decided I didn't want to be a chemical engineer, which, <laughs> man, that was painful to do for two years and then not follow it. But I decided I wanted to be a high school teacher that time because I remember thinking... I remember thinking about my high school experience and I, I, I went back and I thought through my class and I said, I don't remember ever meeting even one authentic Christian. I, I, maybe they were there and I was oblivious to them, but I don't remember anyone ever talking to me about a real relationship with Jesus. In fact, what I got from high school is I remember once going to our high school youth group with the church that I was somewhat affiliated with and I remember going to this uh, youth group, and we were sitting, and we were doing Bible study. And uh, I, I distinctly remember the study, too. It was like this, uh, this serendipity study where you ask all these questions. It's a lot of fun and everything. And then it gets down to hardcore. There was this football field in the little booklet we had. There was a, a football field, and it said, where are you in your relationship with God? And over here was, you know, I'm a zero, and I'm, I'm not even really interested. It's all the way over here to saying, I'm a follower of Christ. That was the touchdown. Well, I thought, well, I, you know, I'm maybe, I think I put myself at the 20-yard line or something. And I remember the, the, the youth pastor who was, who was there, he was talking about things that we just got done talking about, that it's a, it's a life-changing experience. And he says, you don't have to be some kind of superstar to make a touchdown. You, you know, you're just someone who says, Christ, I want to be a follower of you. I want to sign up. I want to be a fan. I want to be someone who will take you on to be my sin bearer and follow me. I mean, it was right on stuff. I remember sitting there, and I remember this kind of heat coming over me, thinking, whoa, this is really interesting. And it was all these other groups, these kids in this group, and we just got done sharing where we were at. And I put myself at the 20-yard line. They all kind of looked at me like, oh, something kind of wrong with you. They all said, we're a touchdown. You know, we've all, we've all done this whole thing. We go from there. We're done with that. We go over here to the treats area. We're hanging out by the treats. And I'm just, you know, I, I knew these kids a little bit. And they're over here, and one kid is razzing another kid about how drunk they were the weekend before. Another one is talking about illegal drugs that they were either trying to sell or trying to, to, to have or to give to their friends. And then they were talking about other sexual things that they were doing, you know, uh, way over the top. And I, I thought, what? These are, these are the touchdown people. The touchdown people are over here talking like this. I'm thinking, I will have nothing to do with this. If this is what it really means, this is what it means to be a church person, you can have it. I'd rather live my life consistently and tell people who I really am and not play these games. 
I'm not going to play a game. So I checked out. Checked out. It wasn't until college when I met somebody who was a touchdown person and, and lived like a touchdown person. It's like, whoa, that's pretty radical. This person actually loves the Lord and is willing to, to be obedient to that person. This morning, I want to introduce you to someone who is playing a game. He was playing a game with God. He posed to be a follower of Jesus, but he becomes very obvious, especially by the end of the passage we're going to look at this morning, he wasn't. He was an unchanged person. He was over there at the drinks and treats table talking about all other kinds of things. So open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 8. We're still in our continuing study of the book of Acts. We will be probably till I retire. No, we're 26 sermons into this thing. You realize that? 26. Said we're going to go about a year and a half. That's probably about 60 sermons. We're on a good clip. There's only 28 chapters of the book of Acts. We're doing fine. We're in chapter 8. <laughs> Today we'll be speaking on Acts chapter 9 to 23. Open your Bible. No, uh, we'll catch up. Acts chapter 8. Um, we're gonna, I want you to just kind of look at the first. If you got your Bible open or just follow along just for a second. Uh, we're gonna, just going to kind of give you a little quick review of what's happening. Remember Stephen? Stephen was a person who was given delegated responsibility within this new church that had just started. And Stephen was given the opportunity to, to be the administrator with all the widows. And he was supposed to distribute food. Well, Stephen also had a part-time gig where he enjoyed uh, being involved with the people and teaching them and preaching and all that kind of deal. And Stephen is the one, for whatever reason, that the religious rulers corner... And they ask him all these questions about how, how uh, Jewish, just strict Judaism, not involving Jesus at all, was differed from being a Christian. And remember, these are all Jews still. These are just the Jewish people at this point. And Jude, uh, excuse me, uh, Stephen is the one who they corner, and they end up through his, putting him on trial, and he goes through this long uh, account. He ends up getting killed for the faith. At that time, before Stephen's death, these Jewish people and these Jewish Christian people kind of live together in somewhat harmony. But at that moment, man, it says great persecution broke out. If you look in first chapter, uh, first verse of verse or chapter, it says, and Saul was there. We'll meet him chapter 9 again. And Saul was there giving approval to his, that's Stephen's death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. A direct Result or direct uh, fulfillment of what Jesus said was going to happen in Acts chapter 1. You are going to be my witnesses all over the place, including Judea and Samaria. Verse 2, God, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragged off men and women, and brought them to, to prison. Then in verse 4, it says, those who'd been scattered out of the ashes, this very sad thing happening, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in this city. So you kind of got this, this picture going on in your mind about like a movie. You kind of see one part, and there's this mourning happening over Stephen, and there's persecution happening, and from house to house to house. And then all of a sudden, these people all get scattered. And the next scene is these people, and you can see it in slow motion. There's this great joy. Ah, yay, happy. You know, and there's kind of this thing happening. And God's taking what was very sad experience, and he's bringing great joy out of it. That's kind of the setup of what's happening here. We're going to stay in Samaria. And I want to talk about what's going to happen to one person. Um, 
I'm going to spend two weeks on this passage. The reason is, is there's two different things happening. I was so frustrated with this passage. I'm like, how in the world am I going to do this? How, you know, preach this in my normal hour and a half. How am I going to uh, get both of these things done? And uh, I got to commend my friend John Piper. I, I looked online at one of his talks, and his first thing words out of his mouth were, you know, I was just, I'm going to break this into two. There's no way to do it in one. I thought, oh, what a great idea. Thank you, John. So, not Jesus, the three blocks down, Piper, that's what I'm so, um, we're going to take two weeks in this, and we're going to deal with one guy this week, and then we're going to deal with the Samaritans next week, and what's going on with the Samaritans, so we're going on. So, we're going to pick it up this week with Acts chapter 8, and we're going to look at, first of all, the, a look inside the heart of a game player, someone who's playing a game with God, someone who's by the treats table. Verse 9, now for some time... A man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed, and amazed all the people of Samaria. So we're still in that city that Philip was down in. Remember he said he went to that city? And there's something going on here, a guy by the name of Simon. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. All right, I want you, I want you to get in, inside as much as the passage allows us. I want you to get inside the mind of Simon. Let's take a look. First of all, it says he practiced sorcery. What was that? Well, the real word there is it's magi. And it, maybe that bring, rings a bell. The magi that came and visited Christ. Well, that's some of these same kind of things. That's why it's so surprising that these people that visited Christ weren't magi. They were kind of like sorcerers. They were, they kind of mixed science and occult practices or pagan religion together. They, they mixed things about uh, astrology and superstition with mathematics, agriculture, and chemistry. They, they were, the sorcery, the things that they were doing was either trickery or it was of a demonic nature. Now Paul if you, Paul will write later in the New Testament, he'll say that actually pagan gods are no god at all. There's no such thing. You've got a big thing of wood, you know, and there's nothing there. He says, however, behind that, this piece of wood or this granite stone or whatever, is a demonic force, an agent of Satan, who convinces people that, you know, praying to this, this statue or whatever actually works. And so there is power behind this. In fact, so much so... There could even be miraculous things that happen. Just remember back to what happened with Moses when he came and he showed them, you know, I can do the thing with the, with the, the staff. Well, the magicians could do the thing with the staff. They could call upon their pagan gods and there it was. So there's something to that. It's either trickery or it was this. And so Simon is one of these guys who enjoys that. Second thing about him, it says he boasts... That he's someone great. Simon was full of himself. He felt that he, he was something special. He was the guy. He was the man. He was making this stuff happen. Do you know what the number one sin in the Bible is? I'm talking about ranking them. You know, you often think of, oh, drunkenness or, or sexual immorality or lying or cheating or stealing. okay. Of course, all sin is a separation between us and God. Of course, of course. 
However, different sins have different levels of consequence and different levels of offense. But they're all offenses. All, all are mortal sins, all worthy of being punished. Don't get me wrong. But number one, number one throughout the Bible. Anybody? Ooh. Wow. Now we've got to... Either you guys have been listening at previous messages or you guys all struggle with pride. Um, that's, that's great. Proverbs says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that he detests. It's just kind of a poetic way of saying there are seven things. Number one, number one, haughty eyes. Number one. Rule number one in being a Christian is there is a God. Rule number two is you are not him. And I'm not, that, I'm, being, I'm not trying to be funny. That's actually the rules. Simon thought he was it. He lo- the third thing about Simon, you can see, he loved the roar of the crowd. Look at this, the first part of verse 10. It says, all people, high. That'd be people in the balcony and low. People downstairs in the basement. No, no, no. High position in society and low position. They all thought he was the coolest thing. They gave him their attention. In fact, so much for the fourth thing we see about Simon here is they exclaim to him that he's the divine, divine power known as the great power. It's almost like he's the Messiah. It's like this guy is God incarnate. And Simon doesn't say, well, I'm good, but I'm not God. He likes it. And the last thing about Simon is he had a following. They followed him. Because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. Here you have Simon, and he, you can just see the kind of guy he is. Okay, what happens? Verse 12. But when they, the they is the crowds, when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. They don't follow Simon anymore. They go, woohoo, this is something better. And here's where it gets confusing. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by his, the great signs and miracles he saw. If that was the end of the passage for this morning, it'd be like, woohoo, here's this guy who's just a nutcase. He's all full of himself. He even is kind of boasting he's so great and he's okay with people calling him God. And, and, and now, yes, Simon is among the, the people who are now followers of Jesus. He got saved. Simon got saved. Woo! There's more to the story. There's more to the story. Simon makes a profession, no doubt. But we're going to find out that it didn't, it, didn't, it didn't click. It didn't take. Simon's heart was not changed. Now, let me give you a little word of warning here. I, uh, I, I came to Christ by saying a prayer. I said a prayer. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying a prayer. We often do that at Hope too. But we ask if, if you'd like to make a commitment to Christ and come to know Christ, you can pray by a prayer. But the prayer is no magic word. There's no magic words in that. It's like, oh, I'm in, good. I, I, I have friends from this church who went with another organization and they went down to Mexico and they went and, and there was a certain group of them, uh, there was probably about 40 people that went and there was probably around 20 of them or so that really felt all they needed to do was get as many people from Mexico as possible to repeat the sinner's prayer in English for whatever reason and um, then they were in. woohoo! And they came back and they got on the bus and they said, we led 400 people to Jesus. 
Well, I mean, that can happen. I'm not saying it can't. But these couple of guys from this church who went along, they said, well, we think we maybe led one person. And we had conversations with maybe 20 about Christ. It's not about just saying some prayer. It's also not about getting baptized. I love baptizing people, but we're careful to tell people right up front that baptism in and of itself doesn't do anything. And it's kind of interesting because, you know, Hope is affiliated with the Baptist General Conference Church uh, denomination. And the interesting thing is, you know, Baptists always get razzed on for being Baptist. And in fact, we put the least amount of emphasis than anybody else. We think it does nothing to you other than be a sign of what's already happened on the inside. And yet we're called Baptists. What's up with that? It's called Lutherans Baptists from now on. <clears throat> Call ourselves Followers of Tim. I don't know. That's I like Baptists better. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> the sign of true conversion that Jesus Christ is really your Lord, He's your Savior, He's your guide for living is a changed life. It's a changed heart. That's the sign. That's the evidence. Now, I'm not saying it all happens overnight. It happens, I mean, I'm a work in progress. I've been at this for 22 years. And I'm, I, I'm a work in progress. Ask my wife. I'm a work in progress. She calls me a piece of work in progress at times. <laughs> but there's a change. There's something that happens. Simon has not changed. We're going to see that in just a minute. Simon has not changed. He's enamored with the crowds that they follow Philip. He loves him so much. He, he loves this movement. This what's happening. It says he hangs out with Philip. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but why is he there? Is he there because he really wants to learn, or is he there because he loves the crowd and he wants the crowd back towards him? He loves the signs and wonders, but does he love the giver of the signs and wonders? It'd be like if I were to say this. I were to say, wow, look up there. Now, if you say that to a little kid, if you say to a little kid, whoa, look at the, look at the fox, or look at the deer at the zoo, the little kid will look at you, I'm talking like a two, three-year-old, will look at you and go, right? They'll, they'll just point at the point. They won't even look at what you're pointing at. They'll just emulate you. And that's what Simon's doing. Philip's trying to go, look at that. Look at God. Look at these signs and wonders that are pointing to God. And Simon says, look at the signs and wonders. He missed what he was pointing to. What happens next? Verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, Here's the issue we're going to deal with next week. This, whole, this chunk right here, 14 to 17. I've got to read it so it follows in what's going on and it makes sense in our, story, uh, our account for this morning, what happened to Simon. But there's a lot of questions here like, what's going on? Didn't, didn't Philip have the authority to do this? Why when the apostles came, when they laid hands and then the Holy Spirit came? Well, didn't they already believe? You know, and, and, and what's with, why? This came to a new group, the Samaritans. Who are the Samaritans? What's all going on here? What does it really mean to receive the Holy Spirit? Come back next week. That's what we're going to deal with. I'm not going to answer any of that today. Today I want to stay with Simon. Simon, what's going on? Something happened. They lay hands on him. The Holy Spirit comes. 
We're not told exactly what that looks like, but somehow there's some physical manifestation that this happened. It wasn't just a, a change of mind. There was something that happened, and Simon gets, gets, sees that, and he responds. Look at verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, and here's what we see, inside the heart of a game player, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, at first glance, that sounds like a great idea, right? Oh, man, Peter and John, you're just two guys. You're just two guys. There's a lot of Samaritans here. Tell you what, 100 bucks. 100 bucks, here you go. Slap me with that skill. I don't know how you, that's really cool. Slap me with that. I'll help you guys out. I'll be doing it. At first glance, it sounds like, well, he's just trying to help. <laughs> now, Peter has a gift, and he's able to look into the heart of people like he did with Ananias and Sapphira. And, and he's going to see real quickly that you ain't just wanting to help, Simon. There's something within you that says you want to go right back to the way things were before, and now you just got a new trick in your bag. It's the laying out of hands, and the Holy Spirit comes. And look at what happens. Peter answered, may your money perish with you. By the way, that's a very mild translation. J.B. Phillips gets it right in his version. He says, to hell with you and your money. That's probably better. I'd be careful what context you say that to people, but anyway. (laughs) Just speaking the Bible to you. No, no, no. Um, May your money perish with you because you thought You could buy the gift of God with money. And then he looks straight into Simon's heart. And he says, you have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. He looks straight into Simon's heart and says, you are a blasphemous man. You are asking to break rule number two, that you are not God. You want to be treated as God. There's only room for one God, and you're not it, Simon. He says, how could you even have such a thought? In fact, he says, I I look inside you, not only are you not really a changed person. You're not a follower of Jesus. You're not someone who's been changed from the inside out. You're full of bitterness and you're a captive, a captive to sin. You've not yet been set free. You're a slave to sin, so Simon. What happens to Simon? What does he tell him to do? He says, he says one thing. He says, repent. Repent and pray to God. Repent and believe. Simon's response is not repentance and belief. Sounds kind of like it, but it's not the full accord. Verse 25, then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. It doesn't, it, at least from here, it doesn't sound like Simon actually does it. He just says, whoa, don't let the bad stuff you said it's going to happen to me. Don't let that really happen to me. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. 
There's a frustrating thing here. Frustrating thing is we don't know what happens to Simon in the end. We really don't know. And I wonder if that's because the apostles really didn't know. Did he really change his heart or not? And for sure Luke doesn't. Luke, the author of Acts, isn't sure. He's confused. So he leaves it at that. It says at least he said to pray for him, but we don't know. It's the last we ever hear of Simon. We don't know if he decides then to turn or if he decides to not turn. The misnomer I think we can get is that all you got to do is say some magic words and you're in. You can live however you want. That's nowhere in the Bible. It's nowhere in the Bible. It's a misnomer. That's, that's not what Jesus... Jesus said, come follow me. Come follow me. That was the call. We often, we don't use the word Christian around here a lot because that seems like an in and out thing. What we say is, are you a follower of Jesus? You know? Well, I was a Christian and now I'm not living that way, but I think I still am a Christian. Well, are you a follower of Jesus? Well, no. Okay, then. A lot easier. Are you following Jesus? That's the question. Are you a follower of Jesus for your, for your life? I want to close by coming to three different groups of people this morning. Some of you are like the Samaritans. We'll get into them next week, who they are, what happened here. But some of you, this may be the first time in your life, like them, they're hearing that God knows everything about you and yet he loves you enough to send Jesus Christ to die for your sins. In that song it says, uh, that I read to you, it says, dressed in Christ's righteousness alone. In other words, if you come to a point in your life where you trust Christ as your Savior, you will be judged on the life of Jesus on Judgment Day because he will give that to you. It's a gift. Your sins are forgiven and the life of Christ is what you'll be judged on. That's an amazing thing. It's an amazing transaction. Some of you are like that here. For the first time in your life, you're sitting there pondering, like I was at that, at that youth group meeting, should I be a follower of Christ or not? Should I do that? That's a great place to be. Some of you are ready this morning even to pull that trigger and say, I am. When I pr close in prayer, you could pray and say, Lord, today I want to start a relationship with you. I want to turn my life over to you. Not just a one-time word thing, but I want it to come from my heart. Second group of, of people here this morning are people who have truly come to a point in their life where they have trusted Christ. They are there. They have, there's a change in them. But there's still an element of you that's like Simon. You're playing a game. There's an element of you that says, you know, I'm not letting God have all of me. He's got a good chunk of me, but there's these doors that I know he's been knocking on. And this morning I want to ask you something radical. Before you leave this room, before you leave this building, I'm going to ask you to open those doors. We're going to close in it with a couple songs. During that time, forget the singing. Do some business with God. Come down afterwards. I'll be down here. A couple other people will be praying. Be willing to pray with you. Is there doors where you're playing games? Like Simon. And a third group of people are complete 100% game players. You, you, you kind of make this profession of, yeah, you know, I believe. I've been through all the religious stuff. But God no more has your heart than if you were out not in a church. doesn't have your heart. But you put a good mask up. you got a good front. Nobody sees that. 
I can say, I got the lingo down, I can say the whole thing, but when it comes to anything with your heart, it's like, no way, get a million miles away. You avoid those kind of things like the plague. This morning I want to give you the same advice that Peter gave to Simon. Repent and pray to the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Lord, it's hard to look at a guy like Simon because there's so many things in our own life that come up. And uh, God, I know it's all to some extent everybody in this room struggles with game playing, putting up masks, being something we're not. And God, I just ask by your spirit that you would, you would speak right now. You'd speak right now to everyone in this room and tell them what we need to do to not be like Simon. You do whatever it takes, God, in our lives. We want to give you permission, whatever it takes, to change us from being game players to people who are in the real game. God, I pray especially for those people here who for the first time in their lives realize that they can be forgiven of their sin and go through life knowing, not wondering, but knowing on the day of judgment at their death that they will be accepted into heaven. Not because they're great, but because you're great. And because this, the sacrifice was sufficient. So God, I pray right now that you'd give those who are at that point in their journey where they're ready to step across the line and say, Jesus Christ, I want, we want to receive that. Just like the Samaritans did, that right now by your spirit, you'd give them the courage to open their hearts, to speak to you, and ask you to come into their lives and to change them from the inside out, committing their entire life to you. Lord God, I pray too for, for those of us who in this room right now, maybe for the first time in our lives, realize that we're playing a religious game. And we know it. And right now there's some terror in our hearts. God, I pray right now that you'd give the courage to repent and to turn to Jesus. To not to continue to live the lie, but to turn to Jesus. Jesus, everybody in this room needs you this morning and I pray that you would just continue to minister to us throughout the rest of this day, the rest of this week, and the rest of our lives. Show yourself true. Lord, we pray for those signs and wonders. We pray for miracles, but we pray we'd never worship the signs and wonders and the miracles, but that we'd worship the giver of the signs and wonders and miracles. We pray this all in Christ's name.